I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello, everyone. Well, this is the beginning of a special series that we're doing. It's long-awaited, actually, because uh, this is about one of the persons that I've mentioned for many years now that I called Mr. Black. And, and I know people out there who followed me for a long time have been waiting, sometimes patiently, sometimes not, for this person to record with us. And, and I've known him for 10 years now. He contacted me first when I was with the other podcast I was a co-host of back in 2012. He'll talk about why he contacted me in that first part of this interview. But uh, we recorded for the first couple hours. We're breaking this up into segments because he has a lot of uh, things to talk about. So there will be eight segments in this first run, and he's going to record more with us. This was just the first uh, recording we did with him, and he gave me the information to vet him, one that I wouldn't be able to expose him, but enough to be able to find out what he was telling us is true and that he is who he says he is. So we're not guessing. There are other shows that have had people that you know, say they were special forces, they were this, they were that. Uh, this gentleman is the real thing. He was a government insider, uh, was chosen, and, and he'll talk about how he got into that, so I won't bother with it here. It's better in his own words. We disguised his voice per his request uh, because he can't reveal his identity. You know, they, they wouldn't like too much him talking about these things because he was in a very sensitive position, and they would still come after him. So having said that, Tom, would you like to add a few things in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've waited a long time. I've talked to him a few times and very, very interesting conversations, including some of the uh, some of my personal encounters with the creatures. And I got to say that the information he gave me was spot on, but it wasn't what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he has a lot to say. We can't say much, so we'll let him do the talking. Um, but before we get into that, I want to say thank you to everybody who has tuned into the show. And if you like the show, if we've earned your trust, if we've earned your like, let us know. It helps us a bunch. Just click the like button and subscribe and the share. And you can actually support the show, become a member by for as little as a dollar a month. And on our, on our YouTube page, we have a link to Patreon. Just click on that and you know, just follow your nose and take it from there. So that said, here's Mr. Black. Mr. Black told me that um, there was a lot more things that he was privy to in this operation than just Bigfoot. So we're going to be doing some separate recordings of those topics as well. For instance, dogman, UFOs, things like that, things that he had firsthand knowledge of. So Having said that, we're going to start the recording right now. All right, thank you. I have been talking to you for around 10 years now, and uh, I originally contacted you when you were with another podcast, 
because there was some information on there that um, I felt needed to uh, be cleared up a little bit. And because of your background and my background being uh, very similar, that's why I contacted you and not anyone else in the field over this subject. And I'll start out with a little background on me. I went into the military in the 1980s. When I went into the military, I got into, uh, they call it the black ops world. And this is not like in the video games of today with the bang bang shoot up stuff. The stuff that I went into was part of the Cold War era. Uh, and it was stuff that wasn't really on the books as far as uh, being advertised as a career field that you would choose in the military. And I initially went into one branch of the service, and then I did an inter-service transfer. And upon transferring, my ASVAB scores were some of the highest they had ever seen. And I was selected for a program that was out west. And I went into that program not really knowing what I was getting into. And when I got there, we dealt with the uh, Soviet side of the military. What we did is we would get uh, Soviet equipment from around the world and basically tear it down, analyze it, put it back together, and test it against our own people and play board games with it. And the areas on the West Coast, anybody that's been in the service can probably tell you where this is. We had a couple different locations, and one of them was on a test range north of Las Vegas. And we had quite a bit of stuff that we would do on an ongoing basis. And this falls into uh, your podcast, because I'm going to start bringing things up. I want people to have the background on this. What went on? between the U.S. and Soviets in the Cold War era, and especially starting in the 1950s, was the U.S. and the Soviets would play games with each other. I'll give you a quick example. The Soviets sent a drill bit over to the U.S. that was supposed to be the finest, smallest drill bit ever made. About six months later, they get the drill bit back, and they're like, okay, they sent it back. And through channels, it was said, look at it closer. It has a hole drilled in it. And it did. And these are some of the things that went on back and forth between the, uh, between the U.S. and Russia. And this whole Cold War era was really interesting because we would go steal their stuff and they would steal our stuff. And this equipment 
taking went on back and forth, and it was a, it was a big game, like a big shell game. Back in around 1954-55, a report came in that the Russians had uh, created these quote-unquote super soldiers. If you've seen any of the TV shows about this where they were trying to graft the head of a chimpanzee onto a human body, uh, and they were trying to create this super soldier that would not, uh, you know, would not be rest, had the strength of six to ten people, uh, endurance just out of this world, and they would be able to go into areas, blend into their environment, and uh, be able to spy or do anything that they needed to have done to a quietly get in, get out. Well, these reports started surfacing that they had created these uh, super soldiers. And the reports that came in said that these things resembled what we today call the Bigfoot. And that was never technically proven that they had done it successfully. But around 1958, they started, the government started uh, this whole uh, Bigfoot thing and having it put into the news. And like when the, the first set of tracks that were ever published in a newspaper went on. And the reason they did this was because they were not quite sure if Russia had been successful at this program or not at that time. So they wanted to start getting reports of if anybody saw anything like this. Now, there's been reports of this stuff for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the government knew that. But they wanted to get reports of these things around populated areas, around stuff dealing with uh, military, with manufacturing goods from the military, power generation, uh, water supplies. So on, so so they started pushing this, and then what they did by uh, doing this is they also did a basic reverse psychology deal where they say, "Oh, you know, if you saw something like that, you're crazy. You're just you're crazy." But they also did the same program with the UFO subject because the Russians were seeing UFOs, and so was the United States, and they were trying to blame it on each other. And so this, the, the Bigfoot subject just started taking off and reports started coming out and more people started coming forward. And back then, a lot of people worked in very, very remote areas. Well, this place that I worked at, they had a file on the subject. And after I'd been there for a while, I was able to start looking into it, reading some of the stuff and seeing some of the pictures, seeing some of the reports done, not only by civilians, but by the military themselves. And this subject was a heck of a lot deeper than I thought it ever was, because when I went in, I never thought that I would ever even begin to deal with something like this. And I had to sit down with my boss one time, we got into a very uh, in-depth discussion 
And he told me, he says, there are things that are uh, kept in certain areas that's under military observation that uh, you'll find out about later on. And we'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, this, this subject really started kicking off in the 50s. And there were certain people who were higher up within the government. I'm talking about people that run the uh, national parks. And the higher ups there have policy that the worker bees were not allowed to talk about this, especially with the civilian population coming to visit. Any reports that were done, they wanted them to get a verbal report on it and then tell the people now that's not what you saw. But then they would go back and have to write a full report on it and run it up the food chain. And these reports would go to an office in D.C., which is still in existence today. And then those reports would come to where we were. And there was a small office of people that took care of that. And a couple, four, six weeks ago, there was a podcast about a guy who was a special agent for the military. And um, part of his office actually handled some of that. But we would get things from different parts of the world by people that were deployed because this isn't something that just happens here in this country. This goes on in Canada, Central America, South America. It's on every continent with the exception of I've never heard anything in Antarctica. But everywhere else, yes. Cold weather climate, warm weather climate, there was reports from all over the world. And for the number of years that I was stationed at this place, I read through everything that I possibly could, and I know I didn't even get through half of it. But it was a very interesting subject to me. And once I got into the subject, then it just uh, expanded from there. And we worked with a lot of the military intelligence people. We worked with uh, a lot of, uh, back then with the special operations, which was different than what we were doing, but we did work with them. And you know yourself, Will, from being in, that your average guy on the ground out there is very well-trained. They're very observant, and they will tell you exactly what they see. And we got reports from people throughout the military in almost every branch. I don't remember seeing anything from the Coast Guard, but we got stuff from all the other branches of the service. And this went on for the big work we had was like from the 1950s on up. There was a lot of interesting information in there. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about is this tree knock deal. Now I've seen the guys on TV where they beat on the tree, scream and yell, and do all that stuff. We never had one person in a report say they ever saw these things hitting a tree with a stick. That sound is made by their mouth. It's sort of like a clucking sound. 
can do only with them. They're really massive. I mean, massive creatures. So they have, they're just incredibly powerful. And when they do this sound with their mouth, it sounds like a tree knock, but it's not. And anybody out there that can bring me a stick that they've hit a tree with, I'll give you 500 bucks. I've never seen it. Never. And these sounds have been made in areas where there are no trees. These sounds have been made high up on mountains where above the tree line and nothing. We had a report from a special ops team that above tree line level here in the United States training in one of the Rocky Mountain states. And they kept hearing these in different directions and there were no trees around anywhere. So this, this whole thing about the hitting the trees, I, for me personally, I think it's a bunch of bunk. Because I never read about it and I've never talked to anybody that's ever done it. Now, we had a lot of different uh, reports from these people uh, firsthand encounters and I got to read those that one of the younger people would, would write about and in just about every one of them these people are like I've never heard of this thing I had no idea what I was looking at I never thought anything like this existed uh, people who had very religious backgrounds said it was some sort of a demon from hell. Uh, others believed it was some sort of an ape. Others believed it was uh, some sort of a creature from somewhere else. But we had had those. Um, they were they were classified by different uh, categories, and you and I had talked about that. And I had told you about that back when you were with the other podcast and that uh, young man on there decided that he would be the one who comes out and says, oh, you know, this is a, a class this and this is this. Well, I'm the one who told you that because that's how they were classified within the system. And within the classification, let's say we have a, a, a type one. Well, under that are seven different subspecies, depending upon geographical location. And that was never put out there. You never mentioned that in front of him. So uh, he didn't have all the information on that. But these things vary greatly depending upon geographical location. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open now.